Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Chris Bevilacqua, CEO and co-founder of SimpleBet. Chris, great to have you on the show. All right. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. Can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do? So I am uh, the co-founder and CEO of SimpleBet. We're a, a New York-based um, sports betting company, or I should say uh, we really created a technology company here that's created uh, an enabling um, software, enterprise software solution that enables what we call micro-market micro betting, live in play micro-market betting with a, uh, an emphasis on US-based sports, so football, baseball, and basketball. And you know, we've just set, started rolling out our first set of products uh, literally uh, a month or two ago on FanDuel. Awesome. So what we're going to jam about today is sports betting as well as fan engagement. And we're going to do so from a current as well as forward thinking perspective. And this is something that um, I'm both very deep in. I've been the host of uh, a weekly sports betting podcast called the Sharp 600 for covers.com for the last year and change on top of being someone who uh, for the last eight years has created sports content for a living, um, both for myself as well as for other brands. So I very much have been looking forward to the days of sports betting being legalized across the United States. I live in Chicago. It is legal in Illinois. So I've been uh, with a firsthand seat of what it's like to be receiving the marketing from the sports betting operators, but also me being an entrepreneur, I see the different startups out there who are trying to get my attention, both as a marketer as well as a sports better. So Chris, let's start with this. Where are we at right now in the sports betting industry? And you mentioned to me that we're just in, a first, in the first inning, but can you sort of give a lay of the landscape from your perspective? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, we, we started the company about two and a half years ago in March of, or April of 2018. It was 30 days before PASPA got repealed. So, you know, in the world of always better to be lucky than smart, right? We just sort of came on the scene at, at the right time. And, you know, so we've spent the last two and a half years, you know, we've, we've invested over $35 million, you know, building out our, our products and we're just coming out into the marketplace now. And, and if you think about everything that's happened in the last two and a half years, right, you know, we now have 22 jurisdictions, including Washington, D.C., that now legalize sports gambling. You got another dozen or so uh, that have, um, you know, have it in legislation that, that, are, that look to be headed towards a path of going live in the next year or so. In fact, there was, I think, three states last night where sports betting was on the, on the ballot. Um, you know, to legalize sports betting. And then, you know, you just look at overall, right, the TAM, the total addressable market, right? If you look at sort of the, the industry consensus is headed towards somewhere between 20 and $25 billion of, of you know, TAM you know, over the next few years as sports betting rolls out and becomes legal. And then in particular, where, where mobile um, is, is available. And so that's really the you know, the intersection that we're, we're focused on. And, you know, we see, you know, the regulatory wins are, are, are continuing to accelerate in favor of legalizing it in more places, including on mobile. And so that, that's obviously all good for companies like us. 
So as I look at the landscape for legalized sports betting, I think the biggest victory for me is around live betting, which is certainly going to sort of bleed into what you guys do at Simple Bet because uh, what I realize is it's much harder for us to win as the sports bettors when we're trying to figure out Packers minus three one way or another, as opposed to this, the live betting market gives us the opportunity to say, well, wait a second, the Bears went down and drove and scored first, and now the line, which was Packers minus three, maybe a pick em. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I feel a little bit better about my opportunities right now. I haven't seen one drive, or there's more opportunities for value. So knowing that someone like Aaron Rodgers, of course, being down 7 nothing's part of the game flow. And once I realized this, I was like, wow, this opened up a whole new world of opportunities for me because you look at a slate of games and you may not feel 100 about everything, but I think the perfect example of this is the Chiefs' Super Bowl run. They were double-digit. They were down double digits and I believe every single playoff game they played. Well, anybody with half a brain would say, well, wait a second. If the Chiefs are going from minus 10 or minus 7 all the way down to minus 3, minus 2.5, or God forbid, in plus money, well, the opportunities are completely abundant. And certainly if you're a sports fan who pays attention to these sort of things, there's certain things that become autoplays, betting against the Falcons or the Lions when they're up double digits because they're teams that are historically giving up these leads, but that makes the sports betting experience in the fandom so much better. So can you talk a little bit more about the micro markets? Because I really think that's what live betting is. Yeah, no, you're hitting on a really good point. And when we started the company, you know, and I'll say up front that I'm not, I'm not a, a sports better. I'm not a sports betting. I come out of the sports media industry. I've been in this for, for 35 years. And, you know, as I was, um, you know, conducting my, my, my other business, which I have a sports media advisory investing firm. You know, we do a lot of deals. In fact, one of the deals I worked on was the, the Cubs were my client, right? And we did, uh, you know, the marquee network deal um, with Sinclair. And so as we were, as you know, I learned about the business over the last, you know, four or five years. And in, in the, from the media standpoint, all of these sports betting and interactive and, and um, fan engagement type rights and data rights were coming up in the, in the course of all these sports media negotiations. And so what really resonated with me when I partnered up with Joey Levy and Scott Marshall, my co-founder partners, was that you know, they had, and, and we've, we've come to market with a much, much different view of what sports betting would, would typically, or what typically has been, which is to your point, you know, it's sort of a complicated experience and plus 250s and minus 180s. Like, I don't even know how to bet that, right? And so we didn't want to build a product, right? Hence the name Simple Bet. And then we wanted to build a really simple, easy to use, intuitive product that had a much different user experience, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a whole grid of plus 250s and minus 180s and not knowing how to bet it. So when we, when we you know, started off building our, our products and the vision was always to build products that were more engaging and more intuitive and were really more uh, attractive to a casual fan. In other words, somebody that's not typically a sports better. And so we've created, you know, what we think is the first of its kind, right? And it's a, it's a technology platform that is driven by machine learning and automation that 
enables what we call in live in play micro market opportunities. And it's really more uh, of a fan engagement platform in that you, you, you play along with the game. In other words, we've taken our uh, technology platform and we've, we've focused it on three sports, football, baseball, and basketball, American based sports that have cadence of a game where you have a lot of in-game discrete occurrences. So pitches and at-bats for baseball, plays and drives for football, shots and possessions for basketball. And we've essentially taken two and three hour games and we've turned them into millions of mini games throughout the game while the game is going on. And so when, when you look at our products, like our first product we rolled out was with FanDuel on, around NFL. We just rolled this out seven weeks ago. And if you go to FanDuel app and you go through either the casino uh, or the, I'm sorry, the fantasy sports or the sports book, you'll see a game called play action. And that's our game that our technology is enabled and allows you as you're watching the bears game, as an example, to bet on every drive. And now we can bet on every play. So some of the engagement metrics that we're seeing out of this is phenomenal in that, like, so for example, on Sunday games, we got, we got people coming on the FanDuel app and betting over 61 times on Sunday and spending uh, about 26 or 27 minutes on the app and about 25% of the total user audience is on the app for an hour or more. So it's a super duper engagement product that is really presented to more of like a casual fan. And that's why we think that micro markets and the opportunity to engage with the game as if you were, you know, being you know, as an entertainment product more than a sports betting product. That's what's different about it. And what I like about this is you're addressing the entry point from casual to potentially becoming a sports better because the logical thing would be, all right, if someone is spending on average an hour on this app, they're only one click away from actually going and depositing on FanDuel because now they're a little bit more exposed when they say, hey, are they going to score a touchdown on this drive? And, and maybe it's plus 250 on there. So they're learning how to do that and, and they're understanding the the rush or the juice of the action and it's the thing that we love about sports betting is you have a vested interest in something so now all of a sudden you can take something you don't care about and say huh i do care about this um but one thing that i've noticed in the landscape of sports betting and, and certainly on the operator side is i feel like they've done a, a poor job on their marketing because so much of it is the all based on winning so it's like, we're going to give you a double deposit bonus. Deposit 500, we'll give you another 500. And the entry point is failing to address what I would consider the casual fantasy football fan. Because for me, the biggest market for the sports betting operators isn't the diehard fans because I'm already doing that. I already have multiple sportsbook accounts. Uh, some of the marketing out there is also you can bet on everything that's out there. Well, that doesn't matter to a casual fan because all they care about is I'm starting Julio Jones today on my fantasy team. What can be done to better speak to that person to say, oh, you have Julio Jones on your team. Did you realize that we have player props where you can just say Julio Jones is going to be uh, more or less than 80 yards today and create this 
uh, onboarding ramp that is more gradual as you guys are doing more fan engagement based as opposed to all of this buy what we're selling, buy what we're selling deposit that is out there because I'm seeing it shouted from the mountaintops across the board pretty much by every sports betting operator. And I know this because I'm the consumer of it and I'm also a marketer. So I'm seeing what they're not doing correctly. Oh, you're absolutely right. There is, and this is what's so exciting, uh, you know, about how the whole industry is evolving, right? If you watch what's going on between the, you know, it's really, I call it like the collision between the the media companies and the sports betting companies, right? You, so you've got, you know, what Points Bet just did with NBC, what William Hill did with CBS, what Penn did with Barstool, what Fox did with Flutter. So you have all these gigantic media companies and their reach platforms, their broadcast networks, their cable networks, their digital platforms, bringing all of this marketing power to the sports betting industry because they see the, you know, like what we're seeing, the, the, the fan engagement aspects of this, you know, like what are sports leagues and sports media companies that have investments in the leagues want? They want people to watch their games longer, right? They're trying to drive consumption. And so, you know, like you, what we're seeing now, I think, is the collision between the media companies and the sports betting industry, and it's and it's broader because it includes fan engagement and free to play and all the other stuff that goes around it. And now, like, it's making products like ours more accessible to the casual fan, and so the marketing of these products will reach the casual fans much faster, we believe, and therefore micro markets will come a much bigger. Uh, percentage of the overall handle of sports betting here in the United States. One thing I'm curious about from your perspective, having such vast experience is I see the sports betting operators and the media companies who are getting in bed together. It's almost like two homogenous industries doing the same thing. So I don't see much difference between the sports book operators and I don't see much difference between the media companies themselves. Cause you're right. They all have reach and distribution platforms, but we're talking about fan engagement. And for me, I think the key word or phrase is community building. And I believe it's the one thing that separates Barstool who is now working with Penn national from everybody else is Barstool speaks to a community and an audience. And they're not necessarily saying, come to us because we're only going to give you winners. They're essentially saying, hey, get down like us because we get down like you do. And oh, by the way, we've been doing this for the last 10 or 15 years. And I haven't understood why more of the media companies or the sports betting operators aren't investing in the community side of things. And certainly the fan engagement side of, of what you're talking about is very important to that. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm just not seeing a lot of differentiation. And if there's not a lot of differentiation, for me, what you do is you default on your ability to build a relationship with someone instead of being a transaction. Yeah, I mean, I think you're touching on something that's really interesting in like on the community side. I mean, I think if you look at historically, right, what what's happened, um, you know, you go back to the daily fantasy days between DraftKings, I mean, they were spending tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to acquire customers. And that's now still going on, right, in the real money betting space, right? There, so there's a, a gigantic customer acquisition play here. And it, and it just, it seems to me that, you know, one way, if you look at how, how, you know, products and services get sold and marketed, and you, know, you see these, 
you know, all these influencers out there, like Portnoy is a great example of an influencer, right? And so, you know, among the reasons why I think um, Penn did what they did with Barstool, right, which, which was, you know, it's a customer acquisition tool for them. They used their, made Barstool their brand. And you got a guy that, out there and, and a whole apparatus that knows how to build community around it. And they've, uh, you know, obviously done very well building out the, the Barstool brand. And I think, you know, Penn over time will take advantage of that. And I think, you know, some of the more traditional media companies and, and the, you know, the, the, the FanDuel's and the DraftKings of the world who obviously are spending big money on customer acquisition. There's probably, you know, a much more efficient and inexpensive way, you know, together with some of those media assets, but also on the community side, that social networking and influencer networks, where you sort of have to have that as, uh, you know, the whole thing as a part of the, the, the marketing mix. But uh, is anyone really wearing a DraftKings or FanDuel shirt as opposed to a Barstool shirt? Because for me, that's a separator. Irregardless of the sports betting industry, the thing that's really big top of mind for me from a marketing standpoint is, uh, when the pandemic hit, those companies who didn't invest in digital all of a sudden said, holy crap, we did not invest in digital. And the companies that did had something that they could rely on, someone who says, I look forward to hearing back from you again. And I believe there's another level of brand that can be built or the connection with the audience. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're definitely right about that. I mean, we at, at Simple Bet, we're really, you know, we're a B2B company. So we're, we're a little bit less concerned about the brand aspect. Obviously we, you know, we're a technology platform and we're like, we're like Intel inside, right? We, we want our operating system to be what's powering the future of fan engagement and sports betting with all the automation. Now on the, you know, there probably are some, like you say, some openings there for really creative brands to emerge, right? That, that aren't the, you know, the old, if you can call them that, the old staid brands, right? Like to your point, you don't see folks walking around with DraftKings and FanDuel shirts. And, but, you know, on the other hand, Barstool has really created kind of a unique position with their brand in the, in the quote unquote sports betting marketplace. And so the question is, are there going to be other ones that, you know, that emerge out of all this? And, you know, I think you're probably right. I don't know who they are yet, but there's an opportunity there. So I guess the, the challenge would be the length of time it's taken Barstool to build their brand. So it's, you can't exactly just push a button or a dollar amount and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I'm wearing a DraftKings shirt right now. This is incredible. Whereas it's a, let's say it takes 10 years in order to do it. Are the companies willing to invest in the amount of time that it takes? And oh, by the way, not make it just a digital play because I believe one of the things that's extremely important is experiences and what can be done by any company to allow me to bridge the gap between online and offline so I can feel some sort of way about what you do. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely going to be, and, you know, and this is probably right up your alley, right? Your, your day job, right? In terms of like how you use, you know, digital and social and community-based products to, you know, to, you know, find that lane and build up, you know, a, I guess a new challenger brand. I mean, there's no question that, you know, over the next number of years as, as sort of money and investment pours into the space that there will be new brands that, you know, emerge out of all this. And, you know, whether they'll be, have the type of traction that a, something like a bar stool does, or will be, be more niche. Like you see the guys at monkey knife fight out there, right. Doing what they're doing. And, 
you know, like, are there going to be brands like that emerge out o- over time? And because you're right, it in this world, you know, it takes a pretty significant investment, right, to to build a brand, because it's a very, very crowded marketplace. And having new brands emerge that stick out takes a lot of time and money. Uh- one thing on the tech side that I'm curious about from your perspective around live betting is with so much machine learning that's out there and algorithms that are setting a lot of these lines and certainly in the live betting market, I feel like I have an advantage knowing that the Lions or the Falcons uh, historically give up leads. And it's something that a computer may not know because they have not watched Red Zone Channel for as long as it's been in existence. And I'm curious from your perspective in terms of um, how much machine learning can satisfy the needs of this or if there's an opportunity for an edge where the human element, there's just something that we're going to be able to do that a machine cannot yeah, and you're hitting on an important point. And, you know, by design, we did not use our machine learning and our automation and invest in what you're describing as the more what are called traditional markets and core markets, right? So those are things like the over and under and the outcome-based bets, who's going to win. Like, we don't use our technology to try to create betting opportunities around those events. And, you know, because most sharpies or punters or smart guys are out there shopping for the line right the best line and you know the the off the 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 operator is just trying to balance both sides of the bet right you know the difference between what we do in those markets is that ours are all markets that are created suspended repriced and resulted all in a matter of minutes and seconds in other words you 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 don't have enough time to shop around for lines. These are all very fast moving markets. And so what we're really using machine learning for is we, it's, it's probability feed. So like take an example, like in baseball, right? We took 10 years of historical data, right? 4.8 million pitches and 800,000 at bats. And we ran our models around all these various markets that we create for in-play micro market betting for baseball. Then we take all that machine learning and we put it into a platform where there's all kinds of other signals, right? So you have game state signals, like what's the weather like today? Is it a turf field or is it a dome? Is it, you know, so, and then what are the pitcher batter matchups? And then you take the live official data feed from sport radar in this example, that gives you the live incidents as to what's happening in the, in the game. Like how fast was the pitch? Where was the pitch located? Was it a curveball or a slider? Like those types of, incidents are all, that's what forms are not only the, the, the markets, but the whole level of automation. And that's a whole different product than what you're typically used to betting on, like the over-unders and the outcome-based bets, because it's, that's why it's a casual fan product and it enhances your entertainment of the game. So if I'm a Cubs fan and I'm at the, ba- at the game and I got Chris Bryan up and I got my buddy sitting next to me, like, you know, the way you would watch a game with a buddy is, well, I bet you this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a curveball and he's going to take it for a ball. Like you say that while you're watching the game or I, and I've been many times as a Yankee fan, I'll say, all right, I think Aaron judge is going to hit a home run on this next pitch. So now I have the ability to bet on that. And that's makes it a much more fun and much more entertaining experience. And that's a whole different experience. And the machine learning and the automation is what powers that. 
So now let's talk about the carrot that is sitting in front of us because I'm on board with everything that you're just saying. This makes complete sense. Sign me up for betting that Aaron Judge is going to hit a home run here next. But at some point, uh, why am I doing this other than just, hey, this is cool and fun? Does FanDuel or anyone that you work with need to say, hey, today during Sunday football or specifically on this Monday night football game, we're going to give X prizes, whether it's $100 or a free T-shirt or something like that. Does there need to be a carrot for this fan engagement or can this live on its own as a, by the way, I'm having fun doing this? Well, in the case of FanDuel, right, so I gave you some of those numbers earlier, right? So on Sundays, we got guys going on there and betting 60.1 times on Sunday, right? And the way it works is, is you're, you're in a contest and you, you rack up tokens. And at the end of every single quarter of every NFL game, FanDuel gives cash prizes. But if you had a product, right, and you're a sports book like FanDuel or DraftKings or PointsBet, and you have a product that's showing that consumers are betting 60 times a day. Wouldn't you want to try that in real money betting with low bet limits? Like, all right, let's put these same bets and same markets out there, FanDuel. Let's, let's, go, let's go to, you know, your 10 states where you're legal and, you know, let's put $20 limits and let's, let's just see if we can get people to bet 60 times a game or 60 times during, like, that's a super duper. And by the way, those are probably not your hardcore sports better. Those are the casual fans, like customers that you don't already have yet. So obviously FanDuel and their investment in us and this product rather is to use as a customer acquisition tool to bring new customers in, have them experience, and then eventually convert those customers into real money betting customers. And that's why, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a marketing customer acquisition tool for them. Yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense. Uh, one thing that I believe that sportsbook operators need to do a better job of is to actually limit the new bettors because of how much is out there in the market of you can do a $10 parlay and win $100,000 in the glamorization of it. And I think about the daily fantasy industry, which I was a part of when it started. And the big challenge they ran into is sharks versus minnows. The people who are professionals would still play these other games and gobble up the lesser players. So they created these games that were just for people who would say, maybe you're in your first month of playing. So you're only playing against first month players. Should sports betting operators say, by the way, maybe we're going to limit how much you can bet or put you in some of these parlay contests. Maybe, hey, it's $100 and whoever at the end of the year gets the most uh, accumulated dollars wins something. I just believe there needs to be something done to help the betters because I know this can be a very slippery slope when you just start. Yeah, I mean, and that's a really important distinction. I should make this you know, clear is that our plan, like this is, we're user versus the house. We're not users versus all the other users, right? So our product, right, is designed for user versus the house, right? And so, you know, and that's why the odds feed and the machine learning aspect of this is really important because we have to, we have to demonstrate, and we have thus far in the first eight weeks of our FanDuel product that if this were you being used in real money betting, our P&L, right, we're profitable. Like, so our odds are actually working. And so when we license our product to an operator for real money betting, it's a user versus the house product. And they have to obviously have confidence 
that our pricing is good and that the automation is working and the user experience is great because there's no suspension times because we're up, like our, our product has been up virtually 100% of the time across these first seven weeks on the NFL. It's, you know, it's not, not down and you, you go to it and make a bet and it says, no, the market's suspended. Like our, that's, what, that's why automation works. So that's really important distinction. Chris, really enjoy what you guys are doing. It makes complete sense to me. It's something that I want to see more of in the market because it's a great entry point to say, listen, you don't get a sports bet yet, but how about you just get used to it and you do so in a very engaging way. And I'm someone that's all about adding more fan engagement to our experiences. Where can everybody connect with you? Well, you can check us out on our website, right? www.simplebet.io. But if you really want to try out one of our first products, just go to FanDuel, download the FanDuel app if you don't already have it, and sign up for play action, and you're in. We got games going on Thursday nights, obviously, all day Sunday and then Monday night. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. I'm curious, if you're someone who is not currently a sports better, would a free-to-play game like this be something that you would try out? If so, let us know about it. And hit me up on all other social media platforms at Rob Cressy as well. And boom goes the dynamite. If you enjoyed this, then you'll want to head over to my YouTube channel and subscribe. Just search Rob Cressy. On there, I drop more nuggets of marketing mindset and personal development wisdom that will help you on your journey.